So I think that as we have collided as a fellowship in the last year with the spirit of religion, I want to give some uh, perspective that I have on that religious thing that we have been uh, railing against so much. And it's the very same thing that Jesus encountered when he walked in his earthly ministry. And you see, Jesus came to introduce new wine, but Jesus also came to introduce a new wineskin. The old wineskin was the law. The old wineskin was a uh, Ten Commandments that they couldn't fulfill. Nonetheless, they had developed another 613 in the Talmudical law. And so they had 623 uh, 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 increments or pieces of the heart of God or the, the traditions of men or the things that they thought were holy and righteous. And they had a real hard time keeping up. Say, hard time keeping up. Hard time keeping up. Hard time keeping up. Hard time keeping up. So God sends His Son to the earth. The Bible says in John 3.16, what does that say? I see a lot of mouths not, not moving. So we'll just go back to kids' country and we'll learn John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe should not perish, but have eternal life. For God. Who is God in that sentence? He's the Father. He's the Father. I want to introduce to you today, for some of you who don't know God as your Father, I want to speak over your life this morning that God is your Father. And He's your Father whether you want Him to be your Father or not. A lot of people don't want them to be their father. Why? Because they're used to living as orphans. They're used to being rebellious and they're used to not having any accountability. Listen, I'll walk alongside of you until our lives start to rub on one another and you start telling me how to live my life. I remember some years ago when we did the work over yonder that this one dear gal called the fellowship one day and I happened to answer the phone. The secretaries were gone and I said, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, how can I help you? And this one dear lady on the other end of the phone, she simply said, Hey, are you one of those churches that tells people what to do? <laughs> hmm. Well, I don't know whether we're, we are exactly that church that tells you what to do, but we are that church that leans heavily into the Scriptures Amen. so that we can examine the life of Christ and the life of Paul and the life of Peter and find out how we are supposed to be living. You see, because if God is not your reference in your life, that Grandma's theology is your reference, Billy Bob Joe's theology is your reference, you need to take that stuff to the well and flush it down, and you need to get into your Bible and listen to preachers like me. <laughs> Amen. Come on. I can't help it if I'm right. That if you talk to me long enough, I'm going to found you on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Amen. And that the Word of God, all 66 books, are His book of love to us. Amen. See, because there's a lot of people out there talking a whole lot of nonsense that have nothing to do with relationship with God as Father. And I want to introduce him to you this morning that if you haven't met him, I want to tell you that God the Father is Jesus' Father. 
Now that's where it gets a little bit, how do we understand that? Jesus is God, God the Father is God. How does Jesus have God as His Father? Well, as a man, God the Father was Jesus' Father. And as Jesus, the eternal Son of God, He has an eternal relationship with God the Father. God the Father being the Father and Jesus Christ being the eternal Son to the Father. Is that easily explainable? Well, there you go. No more mystery in that. So the people can call us up and tell us they have a hard time with what's in the Bible. No, they're having a hard time reading what's in the Bible and realizing that their lives and their hearts have become trash by living in this world. And what they need is great change. But how many of you know, it's not that people don't like change. It's that people don't want to change. Quote that. It's not that people don't like change. It's that people don't like to change. You see, because the minute that you know God as your father, God as your father becomes your chief counselor and you begin to walk with him and he holds your hand and he says, you and I are on a journey from your grave to, to, uh, from the cradle to the grave, but I will always be with you. And we all know that I have a diagnosis of cancer, but I'm here to tell you that God has never left me. His presence has never left me. His word has never left me. And when I inquired about my status in this life medically, the Lord said to me, nothing between me and you has changed. And we need to understand that no matter our station in life, that nothing uh, that is happening to us or that is in our life either catches God by surprise or the Father will uh, uh, leave us and forsake us in those moments. How many of you know that your Bible and my Bible tell me that God is near the brokenhearted and He is, uh, and he is uh, uh, tender towards those that are uh, 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 brittle? He says, I won't, I won't put out a smoldering wick and a bruised reed I will not break. Amen. That is God the Father. And I want to make sure that we close some gap this morning between our regular understanding about who God the Father is and who Jesus is. Jesus said, these are His words, the book of John, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. What does that mean? Jesus was very clear multiple times to say to us, Everything that I say and everything that I do, I'm getting it from God the Father, and I'm doing it by impulse through relationship with Him, that because I know His heart, I'm speaking to you His heart. Is that true Bible? Well, then if that's true Bible, if you're not afraid of Jesus, why are you afraid of God the Father? Oh, no. Jesus came to do away with that. Jesus came to take the eraser to, to our hearts and remove all of that uh, uh, scariness and all of that uh, unhealthy fear and all of that un, un, uh, uh, un, unrighteous thoughts about God the Father from our vocabulary and from our minds and our hearts. Say amen. amen. That's good Bible and that's what will set you free. When you realize that God has, while you were yet sinners, we already had it quoted up here this morning, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The scripture also says that God was in Christ Jesus, redeeming the world unto himself. Do we see a a co-participation on the part of the Godhead that God is fully invested in this whole thing so that what we can do is, is we can trust God? You know, intimidation speaks to every one of our souls. I said it two weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. 
the MO on your television set has been set for you over the last thousand days that there are those out there that hate you so much that they would behead you if they were able to get their hands on you. Do you understand that that is a picture of intimidation? You shut your mouth or I will cut your head off. You renounce your God and say you believe in my God or I will cut your head off. Anybody see the book of Daniel in this? And we got the boys going down into the lion's den and we got the boys going down into the furnace. But if he doesn't, still yet, I will praise him. So this is not some 2023 preaching. This is the Bible preaching. Whereas the Bible wants to come to you and send one of his messengers, i.e. that would be me this morning, to jump up into the realm of your grill and your mind and your heart. Because in the new covenant, God has said to us in the book of, um, in the book of Hebrews and in the book of uh, uh, Exodus, etc., uh, uh, etc., et that, uh, that the longest uh, a reiterated part of the Old Testament that gets re reiterated in the New Testament is, is I'm going to make a new covenant with you. The new covenant is the new wineskin. The new covenant is a new wineskin because our old wineskin has everything to do with the law and obedience and being hard-hearted uh, 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 or being uh, run over or being straightforward or be having a stiff, up, stiff upper lip and calling one another to task as to why aren't you, uh, Jesus, and your men, why are you eating the heads of the corn out in the field when you know that King David, etc., 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 walked through this same thing with his disciples Jesus came to knock down the stuff that had everything to do with the outer man and had nothing to do with the inner man and came to say to us by way of the Spirit of God, God looks upon the inner man because man looks upon the outer, outer man and we do not understand what we see. The Scripture says in the book of Isaiah that God does not judge in His Son by the seeing of the eye or by the hearing of the ear, but he judge, judges by righteous judgment. In other words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon him in order to make all righteous judgment. Is that what the Bible says? So be careful and be comfortable in what it is that you believe, but make sure that what you have is a mind that is capable of being influenced so that in case you have uh, 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 prioritized things in your life and you have this over here at number five and this over here at number seven and Jesus came to re, uh, uh, reorganize our hearts and our minds in the faith and began to tell us this type of stuff. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, and thy body and thy strength. He reiterated and he turned the wheels around in our thinking so that everything that he said to us would have the priority. Now what he was saying and what he teaches is what the New Testament calls, this is the new wine. There is only one who has possession of the new wine. There is only one who can give the new wine. There is only one that can teach the new wine. There is only one that can bring an anointing concerning the new wine. And that was the new wine giver, which is called Jesus Christ. It says that he came from heaven and he, he says that he came from heaven and he was going back to heaven. How many of you would like to, uh, oh, uh, a redo of your entire Christian life with an understanding like this rather than the one that you've been living for the last 20, 30, 40 or 50 years? That we have been set free and we have been set free to live in a family. When people ask me, hey, Pops, what do you think about the Bible? And what do you think about the story of the Bible is? And if you could use one word to describe the Bible, I would say this. My one word for the Bible is family. Yes. 
My second word is relationship. And then I would introduce, there's a family that is all about relationship, but how many of you know that there are no families unless there is a father? Amen. Amen. Preach it. And the father of this family is not me. It's not Paul and Taylor. It's God the Father himself. And the Lord and the shepherd of this work is only one person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That is good Bible. That is foundational understanding. And if you get that down into your heart and your mind, you will not so soon be removed and blown about with every wind of doctrine and every wind of situation and every wind of diagnoses. I told you that I had a, 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 a premier a cancer expert tell me over in North Carolina, just been diagnosed, that I already started to lose the weight, already started to lose the hair, already started to do all kinds of crazy stuff in response to the illness and the medicines. And my doctor brought uh, 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 Melissa and uh, uh, Paul into the room with me, and it's kind of like he had a bump in his step or something that morning. I'll never forget it. And he did the that did the numbers and said to him, this is the way we're going to try to treat you and whatever, whatever. And then he kind of did like one of these, like he was, like he was uh, uh, in uh, a trainer in, a, re- in a, uh, a wrestling room or something. And I was like, man, what's this guy getting ready to tell me? Well, this is what he says. He says to me, almost with his back to me, do you want me to tell you how long you're going to live? And I said, No. You don't know when I'm going to die. See, I understand the diagnosis, but then there's the God factor. Then there is the Father factor. Then there is the Jesus factor. Then there is the Holy Ghost factor. And my Bible tells me that in the, in the book that all of my days are written in a book somewhere before I ever live one of them. And so they can tell me I'm coming or I'm going but I don't care what they tell me about coming or going because this time last year, if you had seen me doing 100 days of isolation in a bed without uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and all of that stuff happening to me, oh, no hair, by the way. I'm so glad you didn't get to see me without my hair. I went, I went to a doctor last, uh, last week uh, that had seen us in July when we were here for uh, the kids' wedding. Um, and... Um, the doctor saw me, and I said, oh, I remember you, and I told him a story that he had told me last July. And he looked at me, he was like, that is what I said. And he said, well, pull down your mask. And then he looked at me, and he says, I remember you now. See, without the mask, who can tell who it really is? Yeah, wow. But I'm rejoicing to tell you the story that God the Father has never left me, nor will he forsake me. And if I am this example for my time in this life, Remember these words. God will never leave you nor forsake you if we read the book of Hebrews correctly. And if you can read the book of Hebrews in the new language, then the new language would tell you that there are five compounded negatives there. And literally it says, I will never, 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 never leave you. And it's the only place that it exists in the entirety of scriptures. Five negatives. I will not, upon I will not, upon I will not, I will not not leave you nor forsake you. But we get that promise because God has redeemed us through Christ Jesus. I want to, for the sake of um, honoring the word of God, I want us to turn in our Bibles, please, to um, the book of John. 
you've got a Bible, please turn there. If you've got a phone, please turn there. This is a very important message, I believe, for someone. I have the type of temperament and personality that um, uh, uh, insists upon uh, that insists upon the 99 and 9. My dear wife is back there with a smiley face telling me don't forget to smile <laughs> because she says when I preach I get real inten in, 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 intense and she does because she knows I'm really a nice guy. Um, she, she, she doesn't want me to be known as that grouchy old man who was, uh, who was mad. But I'm not really mad. I really am very, very, very happy. I'm here. Praise God. I have a lot of friends and brothers and sisters who care for me oh so well. Thank you, guys. Again, another week, another two weeks of just, just taking care of us. Thank you so much. John 14 and verse 1. Now, I've already hit on the, the phrase wineskin. Listen, in the, in the day of Jesus, they had a wineskin, and the wineskin was religion. This is the way we do it. This is the way we don't do it. This is how long we do it. This is how often we do it. This is where we do it. This is all of these things get put in as if they have life. But how many of you know that structure without life, there is no life? If you have life, then you add structure to it, you've got something going. But so many works that have sprung up over the last two millennia, they had well-intending hearts, but they didn't have the fellowship of family going on, whereby they re realized, according to Paul's writings, that what we're going to do is, is we're going to prefer one another, we're going to defer to one another, and we're going to make everybody else in the room as being more important than I am. And how many of you know when you have a family like that, you have a family like what is in heaven, whereby God the Father speaks well of the Son and well of the Spirit. God the Son speaks well of the Father and the Spirit. And God the Spirit has come to teach us uh, uh, about how uh, wonderfully glorious the Lord Jesus is and to extol the Father to His proper place as being the Father in the family of God. Amen? So in John chapter 14, we'll read the first six verses. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. When he says believe in God, who's he talking about? Father. Believe in the Father. Jesus had a penchant. Jesus had a burden. Somebody asked me the other day, what's your favorite book in the Bible? They're all my favorite books in the Bible, but if I had to tell one book, I would tell the book of John. And I would tell the book of John because 144 times in the book of John, Jesus uses the word Father, a version of the word Father, my Father, your Father, our Father, and He teaches us that the preeminence of, of His life was the Father. Now the Father was what to Jesus? The Father was the Father to Jesus in His humanity, but the Father was also Jesus' main source of encouragement. See, who was caught encouraging Jesus? Oh, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So he speaks his affirmation over the eternal son because he's the eternal paternal father. 
And I want to introduce you to those phrases this morning, that God the Father is the eternal, paternal Father, which means He comes from eternity, He is Father in eternity, and what He is doing in our lifetime is that He is trying to get us to pay attention to His fathering abilities and His fatherly intentions, so that what we would do is that we would think more like the way Christ thought than the way we think. And I'm telling you that the missing part in the entire body of Christ is the revelation of God being our Father because when God becomes your Father and you recognize His Father involvement in your life, there will be no time in your life where you will ever think that I have been abandoned or God doesn't know something. The eternal Son who came to bring us the eternal Father and introduce Him to the paternal ways of God the Father. And how many of you know that when a man is walking in his right mind and is a father, he's not abusing his kids, he's not abandoning his kids, he's not threatening his kids, he's not shaming his kids, but he is including them, he has them ever on his heart, and he is trying to do something good towards them because the father has no ill will towards his children. And for us to believe that in our darkest hour, the Father hasn't escaped us or hasn't abandoned us, what we are then doing is that we are getting in touch with the reality that God the Father is all in concerning your life. All in. But when we get into a difficult situation, we want to stomp and get petulant and pound our fist. And, you know, where were you, God, when my father was cheating on my mother? Where were you, God, when I was diagnosed with cancer? Where were you when my uh, 13 and a half month old nephew died of not one, not two, but three heart, uh, heart, ail- heart ailments? Uh, Tricuspid atresia was one of them. He was never going to make it unless God had done a miracle. Anyway, long story short, where was God? Basically, we're saying to God, you don't know how to be God. Right. Wow. And somehow, way, although I came through my mother's womb, And I'm only going to live to be 60, 70, or 80. And from dust I came, dust I'm going to go back. I think that I know more than God and I will become God's counselor. Not just well, but that ain't good. Come on. We are all guilty. And if you won't admit it, I'll admit it for you. We're all guilty. Why are you allowing this madness across the earth? Where's your great hand that can stay anything, that can do away with any disease? Where is this God who afflicts the Philistines with hemorrhoids? Yeah, with hemorrhoids to save his army so that if you can superintend the enemy, why can't you superintend your children and your army? It's because the secret things belong to the Lord and we are not the creator, we are not the father, we are but the father's children and it does us well in the kingdom of God and in our spirituality to always be bowing our knee to the fatherhood of God. Or to the fatherhood of God. Why? Because the father knows best. Amen. It wasn't just a movie back in the 60s and 70s. Father knows best is what we all need to learn how to say. Papa, I bow my knee, and I know that you know best. So, John 14 and verse 1. Is this making any sense? Because if I don't want to do anything in my life, I want to be used to inspire you and yours. I want you to be founded upon your faith. I want you to be sassy about your faith. 
I want you to be confident about your faith. I want you to be proud about your faith. I want you to understand that if you have come to Christ Jesus for your salvation, there is salvation in none other. And you have come to the right person. Why? Because he is the only one who could have shed his blood and gained for us an eternal redemptive status before God the Father. People want to intimidate, ah, that Jesus, we'll just take his name out of the schools, we'll just take his name out of the books, we'll just take his name, that's all right, he's still sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's waiting his go orders from God the Father to come down here and make every crooked way straight, and every high place low, and every low place straight, why, because they are in control, and don't you believe anything else? Just because you want to be delivered doesn't mean they don't want to deliver you. But there is a time frame for his coming and there is a, uh, his t- a time frame for his coming back. And that is according to the Father's plan. Because he sees everything from the beginning. And the scriptures say better is the end of a thing than the beginning. You hold on there. You do not depart the faith. The scripture says that when Jesus comes, half of all believers will have been tricked. Except the Son of Man comes, even the elect of God will have been led astray. Is that what it says, Nate? Is that what it says? Then if that's what it says, our our faith needs to be built on nothing less. Excuse me, I need need a drink. Here's the chemo. I'm going to preach till I die. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. John 14 and verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus is, seeing, is saying, as you are seeing me and watching me in action and hearing me in action, I want you to know that it's God the Father speaking through me because I and the Father are one. How many times does he say that, that what we want to do in our Christianity is we want to continue to separate the two as if Jesus could be kind, but God the Father, he's just that mean old guy who likes to yell at me all the time. That's not God the Father, that's God the evil one who is a liar, who wants to imitate the voice of God and wants to lead you into believing that your best friend and your Savior is mad at you, therefore you're not going to have an intimate relationship with him because you've been lied to the way Adam and Eve were lied to in the Garden of Eden. Half God said was an indictment on God's goodness and an indictment on God's word. It's never going to go away. The temptation is never going to go away. You are the ones that have to fight your own battle. Jesus has given us all the weapons necessary, everything that we need to live a life pure and righteous and godliness. But what we need to do is we need to participate and co-participate with God concerning these things. Let me speak into your heart and your mind today and tell you that if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, we all have work to do. You see, so many times, because we know God is omnipotent, what we want to do is, is we want to just ask God, just superintend my body, take away that filthy thought, that lustful thought, take away that act of greed or that desire for greed, take it away, take it away. And God is saying to us, you've got to give it to me. Well, how easy could it be? Just cast out the sins of the flesh. No more anger. No more bitterness. No more strife. I'm like Christ Jesus because they cast it out of me. No, you have earthly flesh 
You have the world coming after you. You have the devil casting, uh, coming after you. And what we need to do is we need to take up an active fight and have an active right. position on the wall and saying yes to what Jesus is saying yes to and saying no to what yeah. Jesus is saying no to. Amen. This is supposed to be an empowering message that tells us we have a Father in heaven who is cheering for us, but what we've got to do is we've got to take to the mat and start doing some gator rolls. And if you know anything about wrestling, a gator, good gator roll will get you five points. That's some exciting stuff to watch, man. You get them in the gator hole roll. The next, the next time you, uh, uh, they get to the other side of the mat, you might be up 15 to nothing. Insurmountable. We win. <laughs> you know, wrestling is the only sport mentioned in the Bible. John chapter 14, verse 2, in my father's house. John chapter 2, John chapter 14, verse 2. In my father's house. What house? Where did Jesus go? He's in the father's house right now, building a mansion for you. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated at the on the on the throne of God the Father. You know why? Because that's where his throne is, is in the house of the Father. It's not just sitting out there in outer space. There's a house. And in the house, God the Father is sitting there. And just for the sake of right theology so that we don't get weird, I told you, listen to me, and I will teach you correctly. Jesus doesn't have a throne for himself in heaven. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father on the Father's throne. I saw it in a dream, and it's also in the Scriptures, and I'll take you there at another time, but I want to just expl explain this to you. Here's the explanation. Jesus' throne is what he inherits being David's throne, mentioned over a thousand times in the scripture, the name King David, by the way, and Jesus is going to inherit the throne of David because his throne is in the earth, because not yet in the earth has Jesus inhabited or inherited a throne. He has never sat on a throne of his own. He has never been called King of kings and Lord of lords except in heavenly places. And yet that throne that he establishes in the earth over on Mount Zion, there you go, Zion, he establishes over there on Mount Zion. What he will then be doing is that he will then be seated on a throne and he will rightfully be being able to be called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So don't get crazy that Jesus is up there in some lackadaisical place and he's just wandering around waiting for things to happen. No, I'm telling you, he's sitting on the edge of that throne. He's waiting for the fatherhood of God to tell him, now, son, this is when we're going to go. And God is going to make all of this crap right. And if you have any of God inside of you, what you have inside of you is that you have a desire to see wickedness taken down. You have a desire to see unrighteousness taken down. You have a desire to see the rape, rapists and the abusers of little girls taken down and given their just due. All of those that vote for abortion and all of those who say yes to abortion, shame on you because God is the author of life. He's the father of all life. And what he wants you to do is get on his bandwagon, which is the bandwagon of life and hope. Oh, by the way. Praise the Lord for abortion. Oh, my God, now he, his cheese really fell off his cracker. 
Praise the Lord for abortion. You know why in this one sense? All of those babies are with God the Father. You tried to kill them and get rid of them, and God said, give them, to, give them to me. There are no paternity suits in heaven. I'm their father, and I'm willing to take them. Amen. Glory to God. I tell them, shoot all your bullets. And then when you're done, stick the bayonet in them. And then when your bayonet ain't working and you run out of bullets, hit them with the butt of your gun. Then when your butt of your gun breaks, use your knee. Come on. Get up and fight. Come on. God the Father has this thing. God the Father is in go mode, but he's not corralled by day, day, date, and time like we are. I was saying to the Lord back 25 years ago when we were in some high praise, standing up on the front row, and I said to the Father, Father, when are you going to make this stuff right? Nice catch. Come on. Still got it. Don't let the fat fool you. So I say to the Father, when are you going to come down here and make this stuff straight? Obviously, what I was saying to him is, is when are you going to send your son in his second coming, the righteous one, tear this stuff up and make it right? The Father very clearly spoke right back over my voice and said to me, I'll come when I'm good and ready. Evil will not draw me out of heaven. But my righteous ways will send my son to the earth a second time. We've got to stand behind the Lord, because the scripture says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We have to stand behind the vengeance of the Lord, knowing that he's not blind to the unrighteousness, to the chicaneries that are in the hearts of broken and wounded and sinful and possessed human beings. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Jesus said what? I will come again. Now don't be like the Catholics. I told you I was a Catholic so that I could talk about them. I'll be like the Catholic priest. One of the articles I've read in the last six months where they have decided because Jesus hasn't come in 2,000 years, he must have been drunk. <coughs> He must have been drunk and didn't mean what he said. He didn't mean what he said. Well, how many of you know Jesus wasn't drunk? When he's uttering these words and they're recorded according to the, being the, divi the divine scriptures of God, the canon of God, the inclusion of God, is that Jesus said, I'm going to come again. Say, come again. Amen. That is your great hope every day of your life. And as sure as the first century writers believed and expected Jesus to come, you need to have faith and hope in your heart that during your lifetime, Jesus is going to come again. Because you know what, saints? When God told Noah to build that ark, there was a time when it was the first hour of the first day of the first week of the first month of the first year of the first decade, even of the first centennial. He built that ark for 120 years. And how many of you know that he was ridiculed? And how many of you know that he must have grown tired and saying, Lord, when will you send the flood? 
But how many of you know that because God said there would be a flood, there was always going to be a flood. And if Jesus says, I'm coming again, guess what? He's coming. You're part of that army. You're part of that body. You're part of that bride. You're part of that family. You hold up your chin and you hold fast your faith. And we do believe, Ben Sullivan, that this charge that we have to preach the gospel and to preach the good news and to preach the fullness of the the volume of the book is our greatest privilege in this life, not being a king of of islands or, or countries and having the gold of Solomon. It is having been commissioned to preach this, which, by the way, is also the greatest privilege but the greatest responsibility known to men. But if any way you get up here and you wrongly represent the heart of the Father or wrongly represent these scriptures, you are in a lot of trouble. And that's the reason why I study it and 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 and read it again and check it out and what does this really mean and look back on it 50 years later. Why? Because I don't want to be deceived, not for a little bit. And also, I don't want to be religious for a little bit. Why? I want to be like Jesus only. Is that your desire this morning? By the way, do you want to be like Jesus? It means then you're going to have to come clean with whatever else you got in your pockets. Whatever else you got in your pocketbook. You got to come clean. Jesus died so that there would be no barriers between God and men. Not any of them. Well, why does a righteous God send people to hell? A righteous God doesn't send people to hell. Unrighteous people send themselves to hell. We're going to be judged by the natural law, and we are going to be judged by the law of Christ Jesus. For those of us that had an opportunity to say yes to him, and we didn't say yes to him, you've chosen your own hell, and you've chosen your own lake of fire. Don't you let that sly one, that liar, that serpent who tells lies as good as anybody trick you into believing that this righteous God is busy and and is filled with laughter about uh, uh, sending people to hell. The scriptures tell us that God rejoices not in the death of the wicked. God rejoices not in the death of the wicked. No, stick that in your funk and wagnalls and give me some theology. Some of you, you're too young to understand funk and waggles. They were in encyclopedias back when I was a kid. And if I go, verse 3, and prepare a place for you. Old timers, we must laugh. Amen. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am there, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the way to who? Don't stop. Don't just stop there. Don't just stop in coming to know Jesus. Jesus laid down his life. So that we would know the Father. It's our inheritance. That all of us orphans, sheep have all gone astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. So we've all been painted with the same dark brush of we're going to the lake of fire unless something wow happens. 
in our humanity. And the well that happens is Christ Jesus comes to save us by the shedding of his blood. Therefore, why would I be ashamed of someone dying for me to save me from eternity's darkness in any way, shape, or form? And I believe it's the book of 1 Peter that says that God has saved us from the darkest blackness or the blackest darkness. The darkest blackness. Shut your, shut your eyes if you're here. Shut your eyes. What do you see? You see nothing. Maybe a little bit of light fog. Wow. That's what eternity is going to look like. And it's also going to be really hot. There's going to be no talking. But there's going to be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And I would share this message today like I've shared it if I thought I was talking to but one person in this room needs to know the Lord Jesus is good and you need to know that God the Father loves you God the Father sent the best that he had in order to redeem you and you need to be holding that fact with great confidence can we stand get limber for a minute get out those legs don't let that neuropathy get your legs I'm not really the um, I'm not really the guy that gives a lot of altar calls. I never have been, because this has been my experience, and I give everybody the right to experience God the way you need to experience Him. It's between you and Him. I pray for encounters for all of you all the time. But in the times in my life where I've been um, blessed to be able to share publicly. Because the greatest acts upon my heart and soul that have ever really been enacted upon me were when I was sitting and I was listening to whoever was saying what in the room and I caught truth. John Wimber, the father of the uh, vineyard movement, said in most Christian gatherings, you have one of three encounters. You have a love encounter you have a uh, power encounter or you have a, a truth encounter. And because I'm a truth guy, I generally am talking into what is really the truth. I'm a typical male. Just tell me how much it costs and let's write the check. You can laugh. Right? Just tell me how much, what do we got to do? Then we'll just do it. So what is truth? How many of you know that the Bible says that Pontius Pilate stood about this close to Jesus Christ and said to him, what is truth? So it's possible to be face to face with the eternity of truth and not even understand who you're talking to. And I know that human beings, basically because of our broken wires, none of us trust anybody. And that's the reason why I'm so insistent upon, listen to me, because I won't lead you astray, because I'm Jesus-founded. And I've walked with God the Father for most of my Christianity. That's another story as to why I didn't walk with Him as my Father, because my earthly Father, uh, or, or as my heavenly Father, because my earthly Father did a lot of crazy stuff around me, and I was afraid of fathers, although I, I came to the point in my life where I was 
done with fathers bullying their kids. But God wants us to come to peace with Him. God wants us to be able to say, Lord, I know that I have a secret agenda that basically what I'm waiting for is that one phone call and the doctor looks at me and says, do you want me to tell you when you're going to die? And that's the day that I'm no longer going to believe in God because I just thought that when I became a Christian, I would live forever and I would uh, uh, sow gardens and flowers and eat chocolate all day and kind of like just enjoy my life. Well, you know what? God the Father is going to send His Son for us one day soon. And what I would want for us is to believe primarily in the words of Jesus Christ. And if I've shared anything today that is not from Him, as I prayed in my pre-preaching prayer, which was either because of or in spite of anything that I say, I pray that there would be something deposited inside of someone in this room so that you would believe more radically in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I want to close with this type of understanding that Jesus Christ came and He's recorded in the book of John in chapter 1. Oh, there He goes with the book of John. Oh, yeah, there He goes with the book of John. The book of John in chapter 1 says this, that Jesus was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus is known in all of, all of the uh, uh, pre uh, uh, Christian writings before the first century as they were trying to describe man's encounters with what they believed was a true God. They always described Jesus as the wisdom and the word. The wisdom and the word. And we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Jesus is our, Jesus is our wisdom. Okay? Now he's called the word in John chapter 1. But this is what I wanted to say, that in right around 16, 1, 16, 17, 18, in the book of John, the gospel, that it says that Jesus came to fully explain the Father. Fully, thoroughly, and accurately explain the Father. I challenge us to hear this truth and make it a part of your life. That when you are by yourself and you have time for Bible study, study the book of John if you have time. And study it and begin to learn that what Jesus did was as he came to get a family that were all fallen. And to give an invitation to humanity to that as many as received Jesus, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, One twelve. All of that being said, if you're in this room and you have come to know Jesus Christ, you are a son or a daughter to the Father. Rest and relax in that. Thank you, Father. One of my personal practices is after I take a nap in the afternoon, I roll over and I say, good afternoon, Papa. Because he's with me. He's been overseeing my nap. And he's the one who woke me up, not my alarm clock. And you know who woke you up this morning? Not your alarm clock. Not your alarm clock. So I want to pray the prayer over you today that Francis Fran Japan, Francis Fran Japan prayed over my life 30 years ago. I never forget it, and I pray it as often as I can. And the, and the prayer that... The prayer, he put his finger in my back. He was telling me, come out all you, all you arrows of the sheep. Come out of this man. <laughs> the arrows of the sheep, Ben. Get used to it. <laughs> he prayed this prayer. He said, Brother Johnson, I park you in the presence of God today, and I'm throwing away the key. Saints, I'm parking you in the presence of God your Father. I'm throwing away the key so that you might never run from him again, 
You might never castigate him again. You might never ask him, what's up? You've got a problem. Don't you know I'm here? No, he knows you're here. He put you here. You are only here, according to Acts in chapter 17, alive in this millennium, in this city, with these friends, with these spouses, with these children, according to Acts chapter 17, because it was the choice of God the Father for it to be so. I'm not saying don't blame God. I'm saying put all the blame on God. Why? Because He has all the answers. And He's the only one that can comfort you cradle to grave. So Father, I pray, Lord, this morning that we would understand that You are our wineskin and that we want the truth about You to be without a doubt. But we want our beliefs, Father, about You to be the beliefs of Your Son about You who came to fully explain you. We want to expose the liar and how he only tells lies and half-truths, which are lies anyway. That what we would do, Lord, is that we would walk after you with a steadfastness that is good between us and you. And Father, I kiss you this morning. I kiss your face, Father. The way I used to kiss my earthly father's face. I could smell his aftershave. I could tell whether he had shaved or not. But I loved to kiss my father's cheek at the end of his life when he had made peace with all of his children. Father, we kiss you today. Lord Jesus, we embrace you. Spirit of God, we open up our hearts and our minds to receive all that you have for us on this journey called this life. Father, make there be an impact in somebody's heart and mind. Father, that today just because you're with us, Lord, that something different would have happened, something wonderful would have transpired, and something personal between us and the eternal, paternal Father would have closed the gap, would have meant more, would have been more warm. And Father, erase the lies that we would have believed about you, that we would neither be like Eve who was deceived or like Adam who simply threw in with the devil no questions asked. But Father, I ask you, Lord, to release us today. I pray, Lord, for no injuries during the fireworks. Father, wherever we may be, Father, I pray for peace in the camp in every direction. We pray, Lord, for traveling mercies, Lord, for all of those that would leave and go home and those that are coming back home this weekend. And we say to you, Father, you are good because you are God. In Jesus' name, amen.